Exercise doesn't have to be painful. Your diet doesn't need to be bland and boring. It's time to have less pain and move more and learn how to be better to yourself. Welcome to Pain-Free Day with your host, Joshua Cohen. In this program, you'll learn the pain-free way to eat, the pain-free way to exercise, and the pain-free way to live a better life. Now, here's Joshua Cohen. Welcome to Pain-Free Day. My name is Dr. Joshua Cohen. I'm here with my lovely wife, Maria. Welcome. This is the first uh, first episode of Pain-Free Day. Um, I'm very excited about being here. My wife, Maria, is very excited about being hello. here with you. You want to say hello? Hello. Welcome. So uh, the reason why we wanted to do this show is uh, we wanted and I wanted to be able to give good quality, realistic information about how to take care of yourself, how to reduce pain, how to exercise in pain, how to exercise to reduce pain, how to eat to reduce pain. Um, there's a lot of information out there about how to lose weight and you know how to get into great shape, but it's not very pertinent to most of us if we are in pain or if we haven't exercised in a while. And so I want to have some good quality information out there that's realistic and usable and functional for people to use. I want to be a good resource for people to use if they want to find out, hey, I'm in pain, what type of exercising should I be doing? I wanted my wife Maria here for the first episode because I wanted her, she's been through this journey with me. We've been through this together of figuring out what works, what doesn't work, how to fit exercise into our lives how to fit healthy eating into our lives. You know, we've had successes, we've had failures along the way, so we wanted to share that with everybody. So first off, though, I'd like to explain a little bit about what I do, what qualifies me to do this. Um, I have been a chiropractor for almost, for about the past 20 years. I graduated from New York Chiropractic College in 2000. I've been practicing a specific form of chiropractic trigger point therapy called NIMO or receptor tonus technique. Uh, it's very easy on your body. It's a much more complete approach to the problem complex as opposed to traditional cracking and adjusting. The perspective that I take is that uh, nerves control muscles and muscles control joints. So if you're having a joint issue, if you're having joint pain, chances are the muscles are involved and chances are the nerves are involved. And so the type of work that I do, it's very neurological. It's based on a lot of very current neurological principles. But the technique that I do, uh, I can treat, uh, it's, the technique was developed by the guy, Dr. Raymond Nimmo, who developed the theory of trigger points. He, along with a woman named Dr. Janet Travell, they developed their theory on trigger points in between the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and they started merging their techniques together and their theories together. So Dr. Nimmo was really the first doctor, first chiropractor to incorporate muscle into uh, his techniques. And so... I've seen a lot of differences with working with muscles, working with the neurological system. I used to hear my father say different things about how many things he could treat and how many things he could take care of, and I used to think he was full of it. But with working with the muscles for as long as I have, I see muscles are involved in everything. What I like to say is that if you have muscles, they are going to get irritated. We all use our muscles every second of the day. So every second you are breathing, you are using your muscles. So there's a chiropractic technique, chiropractic technique that uh, bases it, that has a theory that it's based on that basically every time you you're breathing. Thing, your gluteal muscles or your hip muscles are contracting to, to circulate cerebral spinal fluid up the spinal cord where it can come go to your brain. 
So I like to say every second that you're breathing, you're using your muscles. And if you're using your muscles, it's only a matter of time before they get irritated. The, um, and so let me see a little more about what my background and what I've done before I get into the whole whole neurology behind trigger points. You know, Maria, you've been through this. You've seen me with this stuff. Yeah, you know, I've gone to I used to, I've been got I went up to train Steelers training camp for many years and worked on a lot of the Steelers and went to a Super Bowl with one of the with the Steelers as well. I've gone to um, the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs to work on Golden Glove boxers. I've worked on a lot of professional athletes, amateur athletes, desk jockeys, weekend warriors, you name it. The technique that I do, it's very easy on your body, so I can do it on 90-year-old osteoporotic women, 400-pound offensive linemen, infants, you name it, I've worked on it. And what I like to say as well is that, you know, if you've been to about 10 doctors, 15 doctors, nobody can figure out what's going on, I like to call it diagnosis by exclusion. What that means is that muscles don't really show up on x-rays or MRIs. And so they're not really given a lot of credence when it comes to pain, but they are involved in most pain processes, but it just doesn't really show up on x-rays or MRIs. If it is a full, complete 100% tear, then you'll see that on an MRI, but you very rarely get those. Generally, what we're talking about are that you know you end up getting mild microscopic tears in the muscle fibers, which slowly build up and create more and more issues. So um, let me see. My wife and I, we like to practice what we preach. We have a degree in nutrition, so we watch what we eat. We try and eat so that we decrease inflammation. We try and eat more plant-based, but we'll get into that in a little while. We're going to Maria and I are going to talk about how we got to that point because it really is a transition. Maria and I both, uh, you know. We, you, you ran a marathon, you exercise a lot. I've done, you know, 100-mile mountain bike races. You know, we really try and practice what we preach. The days of people saying, do as I say, not as I do, is very inaccurate. And so we both really like to practice what we preach. We try and work with our children as well. So that's part of what we want to get into on the show also is how do you, you know, how do you get your kids to be healthy without driving themselves nuts or driving yourself nuts? So... Let's get into what I do, you know, what I do with muscles. Let's get into, let's talk a little bit about the neurology. I want to give you a little bit of background to this, you know, so what ends up happening is that, you know, just most of us will take the example of sitting. Uh, most of us end up sitting too long. And so what happens when you're sitting, the muscles in your hips will get tighter and tighter and tighter until they finally tear on a microscopic level. And generally what people end up feeling at that point is you feel a little bit of achiness, stiffness, soreness, but then it'll go away. Then it'll come back again. And usually it's a little more so, but then it'll calm back down again. Then what will happen is it will just kind of keep coming back and back until it sticks around and is, gets more intense and just doesn't go away. What happens is that the muscles got tighter and tighter and tighter until finally you moved the wrong way or bent the wrong way. It could be bending over to tie your shoe. It could be coughing or sneezing or getting off the toilet. And, you know, generally they're very benign motions. I like to joke that very rarely do you hurt yourself chasing down after a purse snatcher. Usually it's doing more, you know, mundane things like getting off the toilet, bending over to tie your shoe or pick something up. That's generally how we hurt ourselves. But usually those are the straws that break the camel's back, which means that <clears throat> the 
you know, the muscles, they're already tight and irritated, and then you do one motion and it causes the muscles to tear on a microscopic level. Muscles are made up of thousands of muscle fibers like a rope. There, so, um, you know, what it is is that, you, you know, the fibers, they're about the thickness of a hair. So you tore a couple of fibers. You, I like to say you frayed the rope. What happens is when that, when that happens, the rest of the muscle will reflexively constrict to prevent further tearing, but it will constrict so hard that it will go into a neurological pattern of spasm and inflammation. It's kind of like a neurological scar. The muscle will start pumping increased neurological stimuli into the spinal cord. It'll get amplified, come back out, telling the muscle to contract more. It also will tell, tell the organs to contract more and it'll, it'll irritate other areas. And so you get this muscle that's contracting more and more, pumping increased neurological stimuli into the spinal cord. It will go up the spine where spinal cord where you become conscious of pain, but then also it'll start irritating other areas. It's kind of like neurological static. I've been hearing more and more of people being diagnosed with neurological irritation, um, hyperactive neurological system or overactive neurological system. And this is a great way to calm down overall neurological irritation. I'm a big believer that this is how, how um, chronic pain gets wired into your system. If you want to check out my website, cohentriggerpoint.com, that's www.cohentriggerpoint.com. P-O-I-N-T dot com. Go in there and check out your pain. And then you want to go down to the real source. And this explains the whole thing. It'll show how, you know, um, you have your muscles that, you know, kind of shows a normal reflex arc. But then if you scan down to figure two, it shows how the reflex arc will get irritated. The muscles start getting irritated and spasmed and inflamed and sending increased neurological stimuli into the spinal cord, gets amplified, comes out, tells other muscles to contract more. At the very bottom of the page, there is a uh, skeleton where you can scan through and you can see how it happens and how this stuff affects us more and more. You know, when these muscles are tight, irritated, spasmed and inflamed, you know, sometimes you might not be aware of it. They could be very tight and irritated. That's what's called a latent trigger point. Um, when those, when your muscles are tight and irritated and you're not feeling it, they are affecting your motion. They're affecting how you move. Um, they will restrict range of motion. I like to say when muscles go into spasm, they're like steel cables and they do not really, it won't release with just one stretch. And that's why you have to get into how do you handle this you know, it's a lifestyle. Uh, it's it's a lifestyle to try and keep things calm down, decrease inflammation in your body, and keep your muscles moving the way that they were designed to. You know, the more mu the muscles are irritated, the more out, the more the more spasmed and inflamed they are. They will pull the joints out of alignment, and they will cause the joints to wear away quicker, um, which is basically what arthritis is. I see irritated muscles as a major cause of osteoarthritis in the long term. If we can keep our joints and our muscles, if we can keep our muscles balanced and loose, then that'll help keep the joints balanced and aligned and help prevent them from wearing away as quickly as what they would if things were irritated, spasmed, and inflamed. One of the things that's interesting about this, though, is that this stuff, once it happens, it's there for life. Once you get one of these, once you get this wired into your system, you know, the muscles, eventually they'll calm down, they'll feel better. You know, and it could take literally weeks to months, if not years, for muscles to calm down. I talk to people who have had musculoskeletal pain for literally years. But if the muscles do finally calm down, what you're left with is are these neurological pathways 
kind of like neurological scars. And if you're not if you're not careful, if you don't manage your symptoms, if you don't manage that area, then it's only a matter of time before that area starts flaring back up again. I look at it as a chronic issue, kind of like infl- kind of like um, diabetes or you know heart disease that you just have to keep managing. You have to keep calm down, otherwise it will flare back up. So it's very interesting to see how this stuff, you know, these neurological principles were um, created, you know, um, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and they're still very pertinent now. Um, Maria and I have seen it play out in a lot of different ways. Um, let's see, the, there's a lot of, you know, new research, new neurological research that's backing up what the, the neurological uh, information behind this technique. Uh, Maria and I went through a big ordeal, a big odyssey more so, in with, with our kids in dealing with something called brain balance. Our older son, he was um, he was having behavioral issues when he was very young, and instead of I, that's not how we initially figured the, out that he please. was having a challenge. I mm-hmm. apologize, but in preschool, he actually was having um, fine motor skill issues. Okay, and so. Um, that's when, when I, when we initially figured out that he needed some extra support. So we got that kind of support with an IEP and, and then, um, in kindergarten, we started to notice that he was starting to act out, but it seemed as though he was reading. What we figured out was that he was memorizing the books and that he actually had a visual perception issue. And that's where brain balance came into play because, um, Basically, it took him through a series of exercises, and he was diagnosable um, at that point. He had symptoms of being diagnosable on the spectrum, Um, but it was through um, a series of exercises with, it was um, fine motor skills, gross motor skills, and then academically when falling behind even in with with certain areas like certain math skills and certain reading skills that's also where brain balance comes in so it's very comprehensive the program and then also it takes into account um, diet so they do an elimination diet as well and what they're testing for well they take their, they they took our cho- they took our son through this big amount of testing to see where he would where parts of his brain were overdeveloped and parts of his brain were underdeveloped. And so parts of his brain mm-hmm. that were overdeveloping, overdeveloped were compensating for the areas that were underdeveloped. And so the way that this works with the neurology, it was just fascinating. They were saying that it's like, you know, basically a lot of these issues they're thinking are neurological wiring disorders. And if they can coordinate the kids and get them more coordinated, they can kind of rewire them and help work through these issues as opposed to just kind of working around them. And it was fascinating to see because in the past, you was con- it used to be thought that you, once you're wired in a certain way, you're, you cannot change your neurology. But what we are finding through the muscle work that I do, and it was very interesting to see through the brain balance, that you are able to change how we are wired. You, can re- you can't necessarily rewire things, but you're basically working with how things are wired. I like to look at what I'm doing with uh, the muscle work is kind of reprogramming the muscles, breaking them out of these old neurological patterns that are these altered neurological patterns that they've fallen into, try and get them into their normal neurological patterns. You know, it was fascinating to see. I mean, you know, Maria did, you did so much work with them. I mean, it was like, you know, you had to do these exercises three times a day. They had to be there how many times a week? You know, it took a lot of work. three times a week and it was, um, the exercises were three times a day. And then you had to, to also, 
um, make the food for the mainly these certain recipes just because it was an elimination diet. And at that point, it was several years ago and there weren't as many gluten-free options or dairy-free options. Luckily, we have more of that now and, and we will progress um, with that. But it, at that time, we had to make more of them. The results were actually pretty amazing, though, because at this point, Cole is um, he's he is really getting he's at top of his class and he's actually in eighth grade now headed into high school and um he's he's a, an excellent athlete he has a lot of friends that was and he just is overall just a well-balanced um what you'd like to see productive fun kid so i mean it, it really helped out a lot that's even I, i've sent other people there and we've had other friends that yeah. have sent their kids there and they've done very well the nutritional component I found fascinating as well. And the reason why they were so focused on figuring out what kids are allergic to is because that's just another irritant to the kid's system, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just another irritant. And the way that um, I was explained, which was fat, it was fascinating. They were saying like, you know, certain kids won't, uh, you know, we're, we're born with these certain reflexes to help us when we're infants. Um, certain, certain people won't grow out of those. So one of the things could be like, you know, if you turn your head, your arm might move. And that could be horribly distracting mm -hmm. to kids, you know, when they're trying to pay attention in class. And so with working with these exercises, you're able to kind of decrease the sensitivity of those nerves and kind of reprogram things. It was fascinating to see the difference with, with our son. It was great. You know, yeah, I've seen amazing. the difference with other children, other people's children as well. You know, and so we're just starting to see how our neurology is behind so many issues. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was just a nice aside that I kind of wanted to get into with this. I love seeing how, you know, how how we can exercise, how we can eat, which, you know, overall affects us very positively. You know, another issue uh, that I'm seeing, you know, another issue that I'm seeing that I've been seeing as well that, you know, the muscle work really will affect. And if you have this, this was something that can help you out as well, are autoimmune issues or autoimmune-like yes. issues. I'm seeing a lot of people who are, you know, they they have a little bit of stuff like lupus, a little bit of stuff like, you know, um, fibromyalgia, but not enough to really be fully diagnosed with that. And what I find is just that they're, you know, through nutrition, through their lifestyle, their bodies become so sensitive to the environment. And also could be, you know, genetic factors factors as well. But, you know, they become so sensitive to the environment, they flare up very easily. And if, you know, if you're listening to this online, if you can go in and kind of find, you know, if I can do muscle work on somebody or get trigger point work done on them, calm things down and then get them exercising mildly, you'll be able to do a lot of good for yourself. On my website, there are ways to kind of treat trigger points. And there's also an exercise and nutrition program that's geared for people who are in a lot of pain who have autoimmune-like disorders who can't get into exercise. It's a way to exercise when you're in pain. So, yeah, so that's kind of all the, you know, all the information that we're going to really be covering. Well, not all of it, but we're going to be discussing a lot. You know, we're going to start, you know, um, the reason why Maria and I, why I wanted Maria here so we can start talking about how this has affected us, how we've navigated our ways through the world, um, you know. So I was kind of thinking a good way to start would be talking about what we were doing when we first got together you know, exercise and nutrition wise, you know, do you, would you like to start? Well, I mean, I, I think that when we first got together, it was in our early to mid twenties is where I, that's where I was. And I was, had finished um, grad school and we were kind of in our careers and working a lot 
And so maybe did things like went to the, I went to the gym a couple of times a week and did the elliptical and then, you know, went to yoga when I had time and tried to eat somewhat healthy, but it was just, your body's a little more forgiving in your twenties. So not doing nearly what we're doing now from a health perspective, we've definitely changed a bit. And then also, I mean, when you're a young professional, sometimes there's, you're definitely doing a lot from a career perspective and maybe not taking care of certain things as well. So I ended up having acid reflux at one point and, and you ended up helping me get through that in a very natural way. Um, what was it that you gave me? Might have been glutamine powder. Yeah, glutamine powder. And that helped it, it, it like basically cured it within a couple, like a week or two. So there are just so many natural things that you can do to help yourself. That and the probiotics. The probiotics, that was it too. So yeah. So just even it's, we've always, Josh has certainly helped me through this a lot, but like when something comes up, trying to figure out the natural way to handle it first. And that's, that's worked for mostly everything. Maybe it won't work forever, but luckily it's worked. That's, you know, along those lines, I mean, you get some chiropractors that look at it as you should never take, never take medication, never do surgery. I don't look at it like that. I look at it as sometimes you do need surgery, sometimes you do need medication, but use it as a last resort. There's mm -hmm. a lot of information out there about how we can manage diabetes, heart disease, a lot of you know serious illnesses and serious disease processes nutritional, through nutrition and exercise. And what I like to say is, you know, exercising will affect you far more than what, than any type of medication will. But by, by between watching what you eat and exercising, it'll do more for you than any healthcare practitioner ever will be able to. But sometimes you still need some extra medication or you need a surgery or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I, re, I regularly re, uh, refer patients out that do need, uh, you know, more help. I look at it as I don't have all the, all the answers. Nobody does. And you want to work as a team with all the healthcare practitioners. You know, and so, yeah, you were very, you were actually, you, not actually, sorry, you were very healthy and very active before we even got together. You always took care of yourself and, you know, and so, you know, so, so did I, and both of us kind of have tweaked it as we've been together, you yeah. know, to make it a little more, you know, more realistic, more doable. But like Maria was saying as well, you know, in your twenties, your things are a little more forgiving, you know, it's like, yeah. It, your metabolism is a little faster. I always like to joke with patients that, you know, the main difference as we age is that we don't recover as quickly from injuries and insults to our bodies as we did when we were younger. And, you know, when you're in your 20s, you don't have, you're still recovering quickly. You don't have much of a buildup of wear and tear, you know, maybe you've been sitting at a computer for a while, but not for, you know, not, not for many years in your career. Although I have to say as a quick aside, we're seeing, I'm seeing more and more younger people who are, who are having disuse issues from sitting in front of the computer for met for hours on end. Like I work on a lot of computer of uh, people from from CMU students who are computer software engineers, and they will be they'll be in front of the computer for 16 hours a day, and then go home and spend a couple more hours in front of the computer. And so, and so, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of these young more you know disuse issues in younger and younger people. It's kind of sad to see, you know, cause I like to joke where, you know, the best example I have of how our, um, how we recover slower and slower is a hangover. You know, when you're 21, 22, you can go out, I could go out and drink and not really feel much the next day. Now I have two drinks and I'm, I'm feeling it the next day, you know? So it's, uh, you know, that's kind of my best example of how, you know, we don't recover as quickly from irritation as we did when we were younger. 
We're going to take a short break right now, but we will be back soon to talk about talk more about how to reduce your pain. Have a pain-free break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you in pain? Has your doctor told you that you need to start exercising, but you don't know where? Do you want to exercise, but you are in too much pain? Or you start a new exercise routine only to injure yourself and have to stop? How do you exercise when you are in pain? How do you exercise and eat to reduce pain and inflammation? Is your pain associated with what you eat? If you have any of these questions or are interested in any of the topics discussed on Dr. Joshua Cohen's show, then you'll want to check out CohenTriggerPoint.com. You'll find information on all of the topics covered on the show. The site features an extensive library of blogs covering most health topics. There's also an exercise and nutrition program that is designed to get you from not exercising at all to moving, exercising, and eating healthy in consistent ways that are easy on your body and wallet. Join the gentle revolution. Go easy on your body because the rest of the world won't be easy on you. Exercise smarter, not harder. Eat smarter. Don't follow bad diets. Exercise sustainably. Eat sustainably. Have a pain-free day. You are listening to Pain-Free Day with Joshua Cohen. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to josh at cohentriggerpoint.com. Now, back to Pain-Free Day. Welcome back to Pain-Free Day. This is uh, your host, Dr. Josh Cohen. I'm here with my lovely wife, Maria. And uh, Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. So we were talking about, uh, you know, and what I wanted to lead you guys through was just my mine and my wife's odyssey through how to exercise, how to fit exercise and healthy eating into our lives, how it's changed, how having children has changed that as well. And so what Maria and I were talking about over the break is we'd like to talk a little bit about how things were going during pregnancy and after pregnancy. So I think that... Um, Obviously, um, our, our bodies evolve over time, but especially as women, when we, um, go through pregnancy and then just changes in our body, um, there, there are different things that happen that affect, that affect what we need to do to, to be healthy. And when I went through my pregnancy, I was in a situation where, um, although, I was relatively healthy. Um, diabetes runs in my family and I ended up having di- gestational diabetes. So I needed to tweak some things even with my exercise and diet during my pregnancy and, and do a little more than just, um, the elliptical for a half an hour. Um, but also just, um, taking out some of the sugars in my diet that I didn't even realize were there. Um, and like, because I thought I was eating healthy, maybe not eating a bagel every morning for breakfast as a treat, Um, and so doing some of those things, but then I was also, um, then also I ended up with the situation where I was, I, and we had an emergency C-section or I did. 
And so with that, the recovery is a bit longer. So it ended up taking me the full, a full nine months to recover from, um, pregnancy and getting my body back. But then after going through that with my second pregnancy, we have two children. I knew a lot more of what to do. And I actually, I was, I was running more. I've always done something that's weight bearing and something cardio, but I was being way more consistent with it through the second pregnancy. So I recovered much faster. So I recovered from that in more like three months and, um, and it was just a, in a, a different experience, just paying more attention. Um, and then what had happened after that, I was able to, Josh, um, gave me the opportunity to, since running wasn't my thing ever, but I thought, wow, I, I, this is a lot of fun and I need to start, um, doing something that's a little, a little more with this. So I wanted to, um, train for a marathon and I, did that for diabetes because of the gestational diabetes for my, with my pregnancy. You raised money for, and I, yeah, I raised money for diabetes. Um, but it was just a really wonderful experience. And then I think that also when your children see you doing things like that, like Josh and I consistently, after that, I was doing a lot of half marathons and other, um, kind of competitive events. And Josh has done a lot of those as well. And we've done a lot of like longer bike races, but especially you. Well, see, but also during that period, that was when I really learned to compromise. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, because when we first got together, I was very into training and I wanted to compete in mountain bike. I was doing hundred mile mountain bike races on a single speed. I really wanted to keep competing and doing it. But, you know, as life goes on, our priorities shift and change. And it was more of an, it became more of a priority that I wanted you to have time to be able to exercise if I was going to be exercising as well. And I wanted also to be able, we, both of us wanted to watch our kids compete and watch our kids be able to do things, you know, and watch them be able to exercise. And, you know, we've, we've shifted a little bit and especially during that period, we started doing a lot more stuff together. You know, it's like yes. one of the cool things is that, um, it was nice, you know, during the holidays, uh, we would go on these ski trips with your family and um, we would take a day, you know, we'd go out west and we'd take, Maria and I would take a day and go do cross-country skiing or snowshoeing or something like that. One time we, uh, we snowshoed from Breckenridge to Frisco and back and it was about like 26 miles or so. That was a very long day, but it was a blast. It was so much fun, you know, and it's, uh, you know, talking about lifestyle and how to keep yourself active and how to help out with things. You know, quick aside is that, you know, during the holidays, it's so hard not to gain any weight because we're surrounded by so much food, you know, and it's it was it's actually very nice. It's kind of hectic to go on vacation in between Christmas and New Year's, but it's been very nice because it kind of breaks us out of that whole mentality of eating and drinking and all that stuff and kind of gets us moving and active. And it's I've, I really appreciate being able to do that in between in between the holidays and as a way to kind of get yourself moving and active after the holidays. Um, also another side that I wanted to say as well about pregnancy is that, um, you know, uh, like what Maria was saying, um, it took her nine months to get her body back after, you know, the first pregnancy and a lot, you know, we're all surrounded by these images of people 
you know, celebrities who it's like, you know, they have a team of people working with them and they're able to get back into the jeans that they wore before they were pregnant within two weeks or six weeks or something. But for most of us, that's not very pertinent, not very realistic. And for most people, it's most women, it's going to take them nine months to get, it took them nine months for the body to get there. It takes nine it months. It doesn't to, always take nine months to get back. I don't necessarily agree with saying that entirely, but I don't think that we should put some as much pressure on ourselves as saying that we should have that done in six weeks either. I agree. Yeah, I agree. You know, and one other thing to keep in mind as well is that if you are nursing, your body's going to be releasing a hormone called relaxin, which that'll cause that's that helps with the birthing process, helps to loosen up ligaments and tendons, but um, it can also just make your body a little more loosey goosey and you can get irritated. You know, if you're doing a lot of stretching and things, it can irritate things if you're not careful. So I always like to go over that with my pregnant patients. Um, so yeah, so that's basically what we were doing, you know, oh, and then how did, uh, how did what we eat changed, you know, as we were going through that period as well? Cause that was like, that was kind of right after, you know, so as the kids were infants and as they were getting a little older, that's when we started doing the brain balance with them. And that's when we really started focusing more on what we were eating and watching what we were eating and the kids were eating as well. You know, um, we've always tried to prevent the kids from eating a lot of like processed foods and fast foods and things like that. You know, when we were when the kids were younger, my parents ended up taking them to McDonald's for the first time, you know, which wasn't great. Wasn't, you know, it just was, you know, um, we neither of us were crazy about them eating a lot of that. But unfortunately, in this in our society, it's almost impossible to avoid, you know. But so you know, our kids were exposed to a little bit of that. You know, we also we try not to make be fanatical about it, you know, especially when the kids were younger and, you know, they could have a treat here and there. We weren't crazy about it. You know, mainly that was when we kind of started eating more plant based. Um, so, you know, well, I, I feel like when we got together, um, I was eating more more of you the were plant eating more plant based, based. and yeah. then you and 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 you wanted to eat more meat. I and was focused so on animal protein for a, and for a while we were eating in that way and, mm -hmm. and through a period with the, with, um, the boys. And then you started to want to eat more plant-based. Um, and, and I think though, for me, I've always eaten seafood and some chicken. So mixed in there. So I just kind of try to be healthy and listen to my body. Yeah. Which that's very healthy to do. And you never really ate, liked eating a lot of red meat anyway. So no, you, know, that you eat some, uh, and, you know, yeah. which, you know, and at, I personally feel you don't have to be vegetarian or vegan. It's not necessary to give up all animal protein. As I learned more and more about nutrition, that's when I started, you know, trying to go more plant-based and saying, hey, maybe we should do this, you know. Um, and I'm always willing to change change my perspective if it makes sense, you know. Mm -hmm. And you help me see – you really help me see that as well, you know. But one of the things I've been impressed with you about is that you never really ate, like, heavy creams or sauces or anything like that. You always kind of stayed away from them. You never ate humongous pork. And even when we were younger, you never really did as well. And it was a good way to kind of keep yourself healthy. You know, another thing that we did also was we tried to cook a lot, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, right now we're doing a lot of cooking together, which is great. And it's so much fun. And it's such a great um, date. Mm -hmm. And like sometimes we do day dates, which are to the farmer's market. 
And yeah. Yeah. yeah, We'll go, go to the farmer's market, pick up some nice, fresh, you know, uh, ingredients, go home and cook. And it's just, it's it's a great way to spend the day, you know, and a great way to bond and be together. And, you know, and a lot of times too, we have our kids, well, at this point we have our kids helping out cooking, you know, which that helps them as well. And I've read multiple things about how it's important to get your kids cooking. And uh, it's just for us, for adults, it's very important to cook. It's almost, it's almost impossible to keep yourself healthy if you don't know how to cook. I'm not talking about making gourmet meals, but you wanna be able to make some rice or grill a chicken breast or cook a piece of fish, you know, or. Even if you can make a salad and 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 um, chicken or, or fish, you're good to go, mm-hmm. I feel like. I, I agree, you know, so one of the things that, you know, cause I always like to give people useful information that they can use tomorrow. Um, you know, that I teach when I, whenever I teach, I want to give my students information that they can literally use tomorrow on their patients. So I'd like to give you guys some information you can use. You know, they used to say that breakfast was one of the most, was the most important meal of the day. That's debatable at this point, but it's still good to have a good quality breakfast. What a lot of people will do is they'll just have something quick for breakfast. That'll leave them hungry by like 10 o'clock or so. And they'll be searching for food because their blood sugar will drop. And if you do that, then a lot of times you'll be going for whatever in the, um, you know, the, the vending machine, something sugary to kind of bring your energy levels back up. But what that'll do is bring your, raise your energy levels for like 20 minutes, then drop them for about two hours and leave you seeking out more sugary foods. So you actually want to have something good and substantial for breakfast, not just bacon and eggs. Um, I'm a big fan of trying to be as plant-based as possible. Oh, and uh, I'm a big fan of carbohydrates. Protein, carbohydrates have gotten a bad rap lately with everything being pro, so pro-protein. But um, one of the breakfasts that Maria that we've been eating that, you know, that we've both been making is overnight oats. It's very easy to do when you just throw a cup of oats into a, uh, into a little bell jar, throw a cup of almond milk in with it, a scoop of chia seeds, and it can be that simple. You can throw it. We've been doing powdered peanut butter. I really like powdered peanut butter because it's not as greasy as regular peanut butter. Um, you can throw some, you know, some protein powder, you can throw some blue, you know, we throw some fresh, fresh blueberries into it and you just let it soak overnight. And by the next day you have a nice meal that's ready to go. You take it right to work with you. It's very easy. You know, so Maria and I've been eating a lot of that for a while. We were eating shakes in the morning and both of us have gotten a little tired of that at this point. You know, but shakes are still very good. There's a great website called the green monster and you can look that up and there's all these different recipes for shakes. One of the recipes that I like to use was, you know, um, you know, spinach, um, plant-based protein, chia seeds, you know, throw some cacao in there or something like that. You know, it's a nice way to start your breakfast start your day and that'll keep you feeling fulfilled and satisfied until lunchtime. You know, so, but that's taken Maria and I a long time to get to that point. Actually, back when the kids were younger, I was eating a lot of, um, I was eating a lot of yogurt with granola and blueberries, which is good, but the dairy still can be somewhat irritating. What were you, what were you eating for breakfast back then? Do you remember? I am not a big breakfast eater, but I've always eaten breakfast because I've heard that it's the most important meal of the day. So I just kind of forced myself to do that. So I, it was probably that I was eating like a granola bar literally, or like actually at that point I was probably eating cliff bars for breakfast. So it's always been for me, breakfast is just like, it's fuel for the day. 
It, it basically is. And you're totally right about that. You know, I used to always think that breakfast was the most important meal of the day. But what I've been seeing with intermittent fasting is that it's not really necessary. As long as you're getting your calories in, you know, then, it, you know, it matters during the day, but it also doesn't. And, you know, you're seeing some people who are intermittent fasting from like 10 p.m. until 10 a.m. And then they'll eat after that. And they're very satisfied with it. I sometimes do that. At this point, I I figured out that it isn't as important as I had initially thought. And if I'm not hungry and I don't need it, then I won't necessarily eat breakfast. But I will certainly eat something as soon as I'm ready to eat it. Yeah. That's, you know, see, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I used to try and get most people to eat breakfast, but now I say, well, you know, if you're – if you're going to make sure to have something good, substantial, you know, whenever you're breaking your fast, you know, it doesn't make as big of a difference, you know, and I'm a very big fan of intermittent fasting. I've been seeing a lot of very good stuff with that. Um, I like it because it just takes a theory that we're eating all of the time and we're eating a lot of times for enter enter entertainment purposes, not for sustaining ourselves. And so it's a way to make sure that we're not eating just for entertainment purposes, you know, especially at night. I had one patient who he literally lost 30 pounds from just stopping eating from 10 p.m. until 7 a.m. Wow. You know, so it's pretty interesting, you know. Yeah, well, and there's there's another um, – something else that Josh had brought up to me um, would be the, the blue zone, which is really mm. interesting. But one of the principles would be to only eat until you're 80% full, and I really have um, been taking that principle to heart and have been doing that probably for the past – a uh, year and a half to two years, and I've noticed a huge difference because um, also we have a tendency to eat more meals together when we're able to, and that lends itself to being able to to eat a bit and um, and then have a little bit of a conversation, see if you're full or not. If you are full, then great. You can, you know, pack up everything and, and have it for lunch tomorrow. If you're not, then you can have a little bit more. Um, but that's really been helping me. And, and it also I've noticed, and I think this is true of women and men that our bodies change every like five to seven years. So what will work for me at one point, like maybe I could eat manchego cheese in my early thirties. And now like, I'll notice that, that that's not, I can still eat it, but that's a treat for me. See, and that's such an important concept. Um, I hear that from patients all of the time and patients that are a lot older than me, you know, that our bodies hit another plateau every five years. You slow down a little bit more every five years. And so we need to work with that as opposed to fighting it like they do with like CrossFit or P90X where they're like, hey, you should be able to exercise the way that you were when you were 20. We're not 20 anymore. We shouldn't be able to exercise like that. And you get a lot of 20-year-olds that can't, cannot exercise like that. I personally feel it's just it's too harsh on your body and too hard. And if you're going too hard, it's only a matter of time before you hurt yourself and have to back off. That's why a lot of that I use those principles with putting together the uh, exercise and nutrition program for pain-free lifestyle because it's, you want to exercise in ways that don't hurt yourself. You want to exercise in ways that you're easy on your body. You know, there's a really important concept about what you brought up, Maria, and thank you, you know, because really our bodies change and our bodies shift. And even if you eat as much, even if you were to eat now the same way that you were five years ago, you will gain weight from that. You need less calories. You need less as we age. You don't need to eat as much. You know, but Maria also brought up another very good, a couple good points with that in that, you know, a lot of studies show that if you eat together as a family, it teaches your kids good eating habits 
and it's just a good way to socialize and it helps reinforce the family unit and the family bond. It's it's very important to do. Um, I really you know, mm-hmm. I, I really like doing that. Yes. I think it's very very important. Um, you said something else too that I wanted to comment on, but the blue zone. That's what it was. Thank yep. you very much. Yeah, and so the blue zones for a few for for those of you who don't know it, um, a guy named Dan Butner who's super cool guy. He went in with National Geographic to these five areas of the world where people are very long lived. Okinawa, Japan, Loma Lindy, California, a place in Costa Rica, Sardinia, um, Sardinia, Greece. Italy, oh, and Icaria, Greece. And they're all areas of the world where people, they have a lot of what are called centenarians or people who are, who are a very high concentration of people living over 100. And so what they went in and studied all these people and tried to see what commonalities they have. And a big part of it was you know, the Japanese, they sit down and they say, haru hachi bo, which means only eat 80%. Don't finish your meal. If you're not food insecure, if you know where your next meal is coming from, there's yes, no reason to, to stuff ourselves. No reason to. If you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you know, like what we did when we were prehistoric times, by all means, eat and stuff yourself. And that's why our stomachs are elastic to allow us to engorge periodically. But we can't do it all of the time now. And so... You know, it's what's called the French paradox, where you get, um, you know, why do, why can the French eat all these crazy, you know, rich foods, but Americans get really fat from eating them and the French don't? It's because the French listen to internal cues, you know, like when they're full to tell them when they when they uh, when to stop eating. Americans, a lot of times, they'll they'll wait till their plate is empty or the television show is over before they stop eating. And so we want to listen to internal cues. But, you know, that's the the Blue Zones talk about that as well. But they also talk about just, you know, how important it is to keep yourself moving in low impact, consistent Mm -hmm. ways, low stress ways. Don't stress your body. The world is hard enough on our bodies. You don't want to be hard on your body. Let's keep you moving in ways that let's keep you moving as long as possible in ways that don't hurt, you know. And so the the Blue Zones, they talk about how important it is to have a good, strong social support network, you know, how important it is to wake up and feel productive and have a purpose. You know, working is a very good thing to very good thing to do. It's very it helps us feel productive, helps us have a purpose. I get in a lot of discussions with patients about retirement and how it's not necessarily the golden egg that we that we think that it, that we've been led to think that it is. Well, another um, really important uh, something that I never put enough credence on was sleep. Mm-hmm. I feel so much better now that I am getting like seven to eight hours of sleep. Um, and I never realized it before. And I always said, well, you know, I can sleep at another point because it's not that important, but it is that important. And what we're seeing research wise is that, you know, sleep affects us in so many different ways. And if we don't get enough sleep, it's going to increase stress in our body, increase inflammation in our body, basically age us prematurely. Anything that will increase inflammation in your body will break things down and cause you to age prematurely. Okay. So I think we... I think we just got our cue in that we are finishing, and um, I want to say thank you all very much. I think we're running out of time now, so I just want to say thank you all very much for joining us um, on our show. Thank you for having me, Josh. Uh, Thank you for being here. Um, It's been a joy talking with you. Please join me again next week, same time, same same pain-free time, same pain-free station, and I hope you all have a pain-free day. 
Thank you for listening to Pain-Free Day. Make sure you join Joshua Cohen for another program next Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Now, go enjoy your pain-free day. Oh, 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 oh,